What if you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious? Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm taking a different approach to this episode with it being my first solo show. And in this episode, I thought I'd share what I even mean by sustainable ambition and why I think it's an important concept for us to consider when managing our careers and especially in today's world. I've been working on this concept for the last five years and likely have been living it all my adult life without realizing it until recently. So for grounding at a high level, sustainable ambition is about crafting a fulfilling career to support your life from decade to decade, with the end goal being to experience more fulfillment in your professional and personal life with more ease while still being ambitious. Now, why has this held my attention all this time? Well, I'll call myself a career and work-life fulfillment explorer and enthusiast. I know that might sound a little crazy to most, but I've been thinking about careers since I was 15 years old when I started to think about colleges to attend and majors to select. I remember sitting in my living room, going through a book of colleges and circling majors that appealed to me as if that was going to tell me what I needed to know uh, to set a direction for myself and my life and my career. And I've learned over time that I use the question, where should I take my career next? As a touchstone, each time I feel a transition coming, it kickstarts the process of exploration that guides me to the next stage in my career and on my life journey. As I paused to now look back over the years, I realize I've been practicing some form of sustainable ambition throughout my career. When I left college and moved to New York City, I ended up choosing a job that wouldn't expect me to work 60 to 80 hours per week. I wanted to be able to train for triathlons, I know, in New York City, wasn't really rational, but I did it, and also to enjoy the city fully. I mean, who does that at 21? I know a lot of 21-year-olds enjoy the city fully, but a lot of 21-year-olds are also working really demanding jobs. So in some respects, it was smart. In other ways, it may have pampered some of my career ambitions. But for me, I really appreciated that I got a chance to enjoy New York City. And when I went off to business school, some of my New York City friends asked how I had experienced the symphony, swam up at Columbia, had taken a pottery class, and gone to the museum so much. Well, I wasn't working at an investment bank or a consulting firm. So even though I share that, don't get me wrong, I'm a really hard worker. I still worked hard where I was working at the time, but I wasn't working all consuming hours. Then when I chose a business school, I ended up going to UC Berkeley Haas. 
And I chose that school specifically because it aligned with my values and the type of environment I wanted to be in. I realize now that the school has defined its values clearly that I appreciated being around other professionals who approach the professional world with what they call confidence without attitude. Then after business school, when I landed at Clorox and brand management, I was drawn to the company's values, especially do the right thing and work together to win. I was then pulled to a startup where I wanted to work on a product that aligned with a purpose I believed in, healthy food and nutritious food and living a healthy life and so on. I hope you get the idea. And then at some point in 2017, I took the ultimate plunge for sustainable ambition and my husband and I finally took a sabbatical and traveled for a period of time after really longing for the sabbatical for years. And now I'm into a next stage where I'm finding my way as a solo pluspreneur. So it's been a journey of me finding my own definition of success, of balancing my own aspirations and ambitions over the decades, and figuring out how to work with the right effort. Admittedly, I'm still working the most on that last pillar as an overly committed professional who's a night owl and loves to cross tasks off her list. Really cutting myself off is a constant practice. In the end, sustainable ambition and what I hope to offer is a way of me finding my purpose and fulfillment in helping others find theirs for their lives and careers. This thought just popped into my head today as well as I was preparing for this, that what I like to do is help people be heard and be seen as they become. You know, it's only been in the last several months that it really dawned on me how brilliant the title of Michelle Obama's book is, that we can take the pressure off ourselves in a way because we can just recognize that we are always in a state of becoming. So let me get back to sustainable ambition. So in addition to my own experience inspiring this model, I was also inspired by what's happening in the world, and the pandemic has only further emphasized this. For one, I believe the way we've defined success isn't sustainable anymore. The push towards a linear upward trajectory career path isn't sustainable. And the modern addiction to business is frankly just inherently unsustainable. So instead, I'd like to advocate that we craft a fulfilling career to support our lives from decade to decade with sustainable ambition. You know, another way to think about it is how the world traditionally views or defines success. The current worldview is that those at the top in traditional roles or just say society's norms is what's successful or reaching the top in a straight line and quickly is what's successful or that killing ourselves to exhaustion equals success. But a new worldview of success through the lens of sustainable ambition says success is about your definition of success, not society's. A career path is often not linear, but more meandering with one's satisfaction and ambition evolving and ebbing and flowing over time. Again, you are becoming over time as you learn more about yourself and your life stages impact what motivates you or your ambition. And finally, that it's important to manage your energy holistically across your life and that it's important to put your time and effort against your priorities.
this approach puts you in control and puts you in choice, which is really important as opposed to being led by shoulds. Now, the sustainable ambition method has three pillars, right success, right aspiration, and right effort. And before I go into those in more detail, let me first tell you why I use the word right, because some people think I mean there's a right or wrong, and that's, that's not what I mean. When I talk about right, what I mean is just like Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold, just right. And most importantly for you, it's really a self-defined appropriate or desirable level. And really a critical part of sustainable ambition is making sure that you are doing what is right for you, not adhering to societal norms or others' desires if it doesn't make sense for you. Again, it's not following the shoulds and it's not busyness for the sake of being busy. Wright is also inspired by the book, The Happiness Hypothesis, which was written by Jonathan Haidt. He identifies three core elements to leading a happy life and work is one. He says, quote, it is worth striving to get the right relationship between yourself and your work. Essentially, getting that right relationship contributes to leading a happy life. He also shares that it's important to create the right relationship between yourself and others and yourself and something larger than yourself. So with that, let me take you deeper into what I mean by the three pillars of sustainable ambition. Again, those are right success, right aspiration, and right effort. And I'll start with right success. Right success is about defining success on your terms for your career and your life. It's not about societal definitions of success and outward recognition. It's about personal reward, reaping the rewards of your work aligned with who you are and what's important to you. It will be really hard to sustain your ambition if your measure of success is externally driven and you're following or pushing someone else's agenda for yourself. It will be sustainable if your work is meaningful to you and you're motivated by the work. And it will align with your ambition because you're bought into where you want to have impact and aligns with your values and your strengths. So there are three components to right success to help you define your personal reward. The first is purpose. Now, why is purpose important? There are a couple reasons. First, as Mihai Cheek sent Mihai writes in his book, Flow, Quote, people who find their lives meaningful usually have a goal that is challenging enough to take up all their energies, a goal that can give significance to their lives. We may refer to this process as achieving purpose. I really like this way of thinking about purpose that is broader in the meaning than most. It's about finding a goal that gives significance and meaning to our lives. And again, I think that should be defined by oneself, not again by this lofty feeling of what purpose should be. Now, another reason to focus on purpose is that it has been found to align to high performance. Morton Hansen, a professor at UC Berkeley, wrote a book, Great at Work, How Top Performers Work Less and Achieve More. He studied top employee performers and their relationship to finding passion and purpose in their work. Now, not surprisingly, those that had high passion and high purpose were top performers, averaging in the 80th percentile, and those with low passion and low purpose were in the bottom 10th percentile. 
But what was interesting was that those with high passion and low purpose actually were lower performers in the 20th percentile compared to those with low passion and high purpose that fell into the 64th percentile. So the takeaway here is really you don't have to have passion necessarily to find success in your work. In this case, finding purpose is a more powerful driver. Finally, when asked how we define success for ourselves, we also align with purpose. And a success index study by nonprofit Populous and Gallup, they found that while 92% of respondents agreed that society's perceived definition of a person's success is, quote, if they are rich, have a high profile career, or are well known, end quote, only 3% define it that way for themselves. And then in a 2018 populist study, as written about in the book, Dark Horse, Achieving Success Through the Pursuit of Fulfillment, respondents from their own view define successful people as those who follow their purpose. So I'll close with this around the point of purpose. Chadwick Boseman, the actor who sadly passed away last year, had this to say in a commencement speech, which I think was really powerful. He said, quote, you would rather find purpose than a job or career. Purpose crosses disciplines. Purpose is an essential element of you. Your very existence is wrapped up in the things that you're here to fulfill. Again, I just think that's really beautiful and well said. Now, I said there were three components of right success. The second is values. I love and have been inspired by the work of Fred Kaufman, who wrote Conscious Business, and what he champions in that book, just one of the things he talks about. But it's something that he calls success beyond success. And he says that you achieve success beyond success when you operate in alignment with your values, when you hold to your integrity. And what I love about this is the great news is that you can guarantee success beyond success, even in a world where perhaps, you know, success is beyond your control in some way. But you can always choose to act in integrity with yourself and your values because you control your behavior. So really, success beyond success is always within your grasp. Then the final part of right success is finding your flow and aligning with your strengths and talents. So you'll also find success when you're doing the activities you enjoy or want to master. So that means focusing on activities that create what's called intrinsic motivations. These are activities that are satisfying to you or are worth it to you to put in the hard work to succeed. As Mihai Ching Sent Mihai articulates in Flow, quote, the best moments usually occur when a person's body or mind is stretched to its limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. Optimal experience is thus something that we make happen. So we can make this happen. A core theme, again, of sustainable ambition overall is that we are in control and have choice. So I love this idea that we can create these moments and influence when we can get into flow. There's a great video on TED from Diane Allen. She's a violinist and performance expert. And in this video, she talks about how to identify your flow strategy and prompt yourself into your flow state. I think this concept is really important, and I don't think most of us think about this at all. So I'd recommend checking it out, and I'll also capture it in the show notes. 
Then just a short point on strengths as well. Peter Drucker also talks about the importance of managing oneself successfully by aligning not only to values, as we talked about before, but also leveraging one's strengths in your preferred methods of work. So that's a really critical component as well. So to repeat, why does sustainable ambition model start with right success? Well, because it will be really hard to sustain your ambition if your measure of success is externally driven and you're following or pushing someone else's agenda for yourself. You're just going to lose motivation at some point or wonder what it's all about. So that's why it's important to find right success, your personal reward, by defining career and frankly, overall life success on your terms through purpose, values, and aligning to your strengths and intrinsic motivations. So with that, now let's talk about the second pillar of sustainable ambition and talk about right aspiration. So right aspiration is about managing your work satisfaction and ambition from decade to decade. It is about making sure you're building what I call a regenerative career. And it's sustainable because it considers how you manage your career over time, understanding that both your satisfaction and ambition ebb ebb and flow depending on your life stage and career stage. And it's related to ambition because it asks you to pay attention and consistently ask, what am I determined to do, be, or contribute right now? What is my ambition in the moment? And really, this is something that I just don't think we honestly talk about enough. It's a reality, but it's just not talked about for some reason. So I think it's helpful if we all recognize that it's not uncommon to find that your satisfaction and ambition may change in ebb and flow over time. So with regard to right aspiration, you're likely picking up on two key components I'm talking about, satisfaction and ambition. So when thinking about one's career satisfaction and path, most people think it's just an upward trajectory, a straight line, but it's more a meandering journey. Think about sailing. It's more like tacking back and forth to move towards your final destination. This has been a common theme on the podcast already. In episode six, Philip Van Dusen shared how he doesn't see a career ladder, but rather sees it as a web. And in episode seven, Amber Beam talks about it more like going through a jungle gym, perhaps moving laterally, but progressing forward. Come to think of it, it's actually come up in almost all of the conversations I've had. Um, Yet it's not what people expect. People expect it to be this straight career ladder. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about work satisfaction. So how we feel about our work isn't static. Our satisfaction changes over time and over the decades, given the stage we're in. Yet, as I said earlier, there's not a lot of discussion about this point. And yet research I've conducted shows that for many professionals, career satisfaction flexes over time. It's different in your 20s versus your 30s compared to your 40s and 50s and so on. We just learn more about ourselves over time is my belief. And as Lori Gottlieb, the psychotherapist and bestselling New York Times author has said, quote, our contentment looks different at different parts of our life. Or as William Bridges writes in the book Transitions, quote, adulthood unfolds its promise in an alternating rhythm of expansion and contraction, change and stability. Or consider even what Peter Drucker said, quote, 
But most people, especially highly gifted people, do not really know where they belong until they're well past their mid-20s. So once again, society often puts these unrealistic expectations upon us to know who and what we should be and how we should be applying ourselves in the world, both early, but also that it's as if it shouldn't change over time and that we shouldn't evolve over time. My belief is that it's important to really pay attention as you go through your career and your life, frankly, and use guideposts and be opportunistic as you're noticing things that are attracting your attention. And I will say this notion of paying attention has been another theme on the podcast already. I really can't underscore it enough. Like really don't fall asleep as you go through your career, pay attention. And again, just recognize that for many of us, our path is likely to meander. You know, if you're lucky and have clear line of sight to your career satisfaction and ambition, like awesome, that's really great. For others of us, as I talked about in episode nine with David Brown, it's a series of adventures, as David shared. Now, let's look at ambition. I don't think we think about or look at ambition hard enough either. You know, one single view of ambition is that it assumes that we all are always going for it, just diving in, going for gold. But I don't know if that's always the case. I think it's helpful to really think about your ambition and be aware that it, again, ebbs and flows over time. You know, there's a book that I really love and go back to all the time. It's called It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be by Paul Arden. And there's this page that I fell in love with (laughs) for some reason that shows an image of different people culminating with Napoleon. But it starts with asking this question, so how good do you want to be? Quite good, good, very good, the best in your field, the best in the world. And of course, that's Napoleon. And then in the book, Arden shares the example of Victoria Beckham and how she said, quote, I want to be as famous as Purcell Automatic, which is a well-known detergent brand in the UK. So she didn't want to be just a famous pop singer. She wanted to be a recognized world brand. And I think she got there. That's being clear on ambition and setting an intention. Another example, I was watching this past year, David Foster's biography on Netflix, and Michael Buble was in the film. It was very clear that his ambition was to become the next Frank Sinatra. Now, it's not to say we all have to have that level of ambition, but I think it's helpful to be clear about our ambitions in the moment, at a particular stage in our life, or even when you're thinking about a task at hand. And again, I know I might be a broken record about this, but ambition isn't static, just like satisfaction isn't static especially as you move through different stages of your career and life. And the pace at which you want to reach those ambitions can change as well. So again, right aspiration is about managing your work satisfaction and ambition from decade to decade, paying attention and adjusting to it so it is sustainable over time. And in the end, it's about building what I call a regenerative career, which is that much more important in today's work world, where we are also constantly asked to learn and reinvent ourselves. So let me close with the third pillar of sustainable ambition, 
and that is right effort. So right effort is about directing your energy so your work doesn't unintentionally take over your life. I would say it's not about about finding work-life balance. Rather, it's about building work-life resilience. So right effort makes it sustainable because it's squarely focused on avoiding burnout and considering work-life integration. And right effort also relates to ambition because it asks us to align our effort to what's important to us, to our ambition for this stage or related to any one project. So why do I say it's not about work-life balance? Because balance isn't static. You don't achieve it one time and just stop and expect it to stay in a steady state. I also loved how David Brown talked about balance in episode nine. He said, quote, balance as a word makes you think about stability, but in reality, it's a constant alertness. You only notice balance when you notice you are an imbalance and are swinging one way. I also loved Heather Ainsworth's perspective she shared in episode two, that balance and sustainable isn't about moments in time, but rather looking over an 18-month time horizon. She also shared that balance and sustainable doesn't mean you're never going to have to work hard and pay some dues. Sorry to break that bad news, <laughs> but that's, that's the case. So you need to revisit and readjust over time as the context and situations change. Plus, there may be times when it's not appropriate to have balance. You may be at a critical juncture in a personal professional project where you want to put most of your attention and efforts there, taking yourself out of balance. You know, I've had several times in my career where I knew this was the case, frankly, times when I was ambitious and I knew that if I dug in and invested the hours delivering great work, it would lead to progress in my career, likely a promotion. And I'm not the only one that has worked hard. A lot of successful people will say success is often tied to working hard. You know, Colin Powell has said, quote, a dream does not become reality through magic. It takes sweat, determination, and hard work. Or Dwayne The Rock Johnson has said, success isn't always about greatness. It's about consistency. Consistent hard work leads to success. Greatness will come. Or even Stephen King, who says, Talent is cheaper than table salt. What separates the talented individual from the successful one is hard work. So I believe in sustainable ambition. I believe in right effort, but I also think that hard work is important at times as well. So for me, when I think about work-life balance, I think about it more as if you're walking a tightrope, not as dramatic, but, you know, with this constant readjusting to stay on track in the moment. So I will say the answer is also not running at full throttle and being overly busy. I love this quote by Henry David Thoreau, who said, quote, it's not enough to be busy. The question is, what are we busy about? So what I love about this quote is a reminder, again, that we have a choice and we can be intentional in how we're utilizing our time and our energy. So around right effort, I think about seven Ps. I just added the seventh. (laughs) So those seven Ps are perspective, pace, priorities, productivity, place, pause, and play and pleasure. So I actually in here have nine Ps, but really the top ones are seven. So let me talk about each of these a little bit. So the first one, perspective. It asks you to shift your mindset around time and choice. 
It empowers you to recognize that time is finite and that you are in control of where you put your focus. You'll hear this from Stephanie Carter in an upcoming episode. Stephanie is the founder of The Verse Media, which she founded after a 25-year career at a growth equity firm. Stephanie is also the wife of Ash Carter, the former Secretary of Defense under President Obama. And she shares that when he took that role, she had to make a conscious choice to restructure her own work, both to support him in that position, but also to play the part she wanted to play, which she did, seizing the opportunity to travel the world and make a difference for military families and veterans. So again, it comes back to this idea of it's of making choices and accepting the fact that we really can't do it all. You have to shift your perspective around time. Now, the second P is pace, which is about being aware of the level of effort you want to put in at different stages of your career and life. As I said earlier, sometimes it makes sense to work really hard because you're inspired and flow or pushing to get to the next rung, but it shouldn't be guided by our addiction to be busy, nor the should of working long hours. The level of effort to put in any endeavor really needs to align with the rewards you're seeking in getting out. I would add an additional P to pace, which is patience. (laughs) This is the extra P I mentioned. The more I talk to executives about their career, I hear this. You know, you don't have to get to the top fast. Yes, there's the top X number in their 20s, 30s, or 40s, and so on. Okay. But really, we have 40 to 50 years to work. So have patience with building your career. You know, Jeff Tanner talks about this in episode one. And he hears it from other senior executives that have provided that counsel to him. Pace pace yourself. Have patience. There's a lot to learn here. There is time. Now, the next P is priorities. Considering priorities is about realistically looking at them across work and life and helping us to say yes to our most essential priorities right now and say no to those that should fall off the list. And believe me, this is not easy. I know I struggle with this myself, but it is really critical to constantly look at your priorities to keep your sanity. Also with this, really think about what only you can do versus what you can enlist others to do, be it in your organization, within your family, or paying to outsource to others. The next P is productivity, which is about making the most of the time and energy you have It's not necessarily about doing more. It's really about using your time and effort wisely. There's so much I could cover around productivity. I will likely do a separate episode on it, and I will likely bring others on to bring their expertise and share their insights on that topic. The next P is place, and it's about finding the right environment that will support the type of life you are seeking. Admittedly, this is one of the toughest P's. I mean, right effort overall is tough, but You know, um, finding the right place that's going to support you in this can be challenging in the corporate world. But this is also important for leaders to acknowledge, too, and it's why I'm covering it. Like, how do you create a workspace that supports people's sustainable ambition and how satisfaction and ambition ebb and flow over time? And if you are a people leader, how can you support people in this? You know, when I talked with Heather Ainsworth, again, in episode two, she really talked about how it really comes down to the manager in these situations. Again, companies can have policies, 
But from her experience and based on the research she is aware of, it all comes down to that manager. So if you are a people leader, take that responsibility to heart. I will say, I don't think our workplaces support this sufficiently, both for people with families, either caring for children and or caring for aging parents and for people as they get later in their careers. For example, one of my biggest pet peeves is how older executives seem to get pushed out of the workforce, especially in tech-centered companies. Now, that doesn't always happen, but it can happen. And I love Chip Conley's book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, about his experiences at Airbnb. It really provides wonderful insight and inspiration for how workplaces can get reimagined. And by the way, CEOs and heads of HR out there, Gen Xers at this stage of their career want exactly what millennials and Gen Zers want too. So to say it's all about what millennials and Gen Zers want just ignores the other part of your workforce that wants exactly the same thing, which is at this stage, we want to find more purpose and meaning in our work. We want and need more flexibility, and we're ready for our next growth curve. So companies need to really understand this and start to embrace that. So that should also be a clue to companies as to why purpose, continual learning, and supporting more work-life resilience is important. As I mentioned, I spoke with Heather Ainsworth, founder and CEO of Workable Concept, about this whole point of place uh, in our conversation and, you know, Heather is a great person to talk to about this because she is, she is an expert in helping organizations, individuals, and leaders create circumstances for caregivers to really thrive in work and in life. I also talked about this uh, concept in episode five with Wade Brill about how companies can support employees in an endeavor to avoid burnout and overwhelm and really build resiliency, as well as the importance of championing authenticity in the workplace, along with compassion and humanness. You know, it was in this conversation with Wei that she made me think, wow, humanness could be the antonym of professionalism, which is really something to pause to think about. But at any rate, I look forward to really digging into this concept of place more deeply in the future, as I think it's really important to unpack. Now, the sixth P is for pause, which is about finding short to longer periods of time to get recharged and reinvigorated. Pauses are really vital for keeping us sustained and those don't have to be long sabbaticals. We all need to find ways to take pauses across our days, weeks, months, and years. Now in episode nine, again, I talk about taking a year off with David Brown, author. He's an author along with his wife of A Year Off, a story about traveling the world and how to make it happen for you. So David talks about how that year for him was almost calling him. He says, quote, it was the most sincere next step forward. It was the most genuine. If there was something that was interesting to me, this was interesting and let's just see where it lands. So he was drawn to this as being what was next for him in that moment and stage of his life. So even though I just mentioned that about him taking a year off, I want to punctuate again that I don't think pauses have to be long. Even just pausing for one minute to take five deep breaths can transform you. Now, I've said I added just a seventh P in the moment or just recently, and um, I decided to add play and pleasure. So it's actually two. It's really seven and eight, but I'm combining them into one. And I'm doing that because I believe right effort is about building work-life resiliency. Again, not about work-life balance. 
I think it's important to think about this concept of work-life resiliency. And I think the first six Ps will help you with directing your energy so your work doesn't unintentionally take over your life. But to really build that resiliency, you also have to fuel yourself. Pauses will help with this too. Those mindful moments as Wade Brill talks about. But you need to find activities that will bring you joy and fill you up. You know, Dr. Rick Hansen speaks of this concept of having a good experience and letting that experience really sink in to really help build your resilience, to get those experiences into your bones so you can call upon them during difficult times and they really fill you up and help build that resiliency. So those are the seven Ps to find right effort, to direct your energy so your work doesn't unintentionally take over your life and to build work-life resilience to sustain you from decade to decade. So in summary, remember, What's great about sustainable ambition is that it puts you in control and puts you in choice. You are not powerless. You are in charge of your career and life and sustainable ambition is within your reach. So now to close, just as I do rapid fire questions with some of my guests, I thought I'd ask these of myself to have you get to know me a little bit better. So the first question is, how do you define success for yourself? So not surprisingly, I'm going to lean on uh, the pillar of right success and go back to purpose, values, and what puts me into flow or my strengths. But what really I want to talk about here is something related to values and something that I was inspired by Marie Forleo sharing along the lines of choosing growth and learning over comfort and certainty. So What I loved about this phrase that she shared was that it helped me get clear on two of my values. So two of my top values are actually stability. And then the second one is learning and growth and stretching myself. And I realized in one moment where I was really struggling with this and trying to determine like, well, I want stability, but I'm really drawn to learn and grow and stretch stretch myself. And when I heard this, I realized, yes, I want to choose growth and learning over comfort and certainty. And I realized I'm willing to choose that now. And it's helped me embrace it uh, more and also embrace the discomfort that comes with growth and stretching myself. So the second question is, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I would say, follow your heart. You know yourself better than you think. Third question, what advice do you have for someone managing their careers in their 20s, 30s, and 40s? So for those in their 20s, I would say, try things, pay attention, adjust as you learn about yourself, And as others on this podcast have said, take risks. Um, Finally, I will also say, because we're going to have somebody on uh, soon who talks about finances, and I will just say, save early and learn the value of compound interest. For your 30s, I'd really lean into the sustainable ambition practices during this stage in your career, really important. And then in your 40s, as Peter Drucker says, and as Jeff Tanner alluded to in episode one, start planting seeds for your second half now. 
What's your best time-saving or productivity tip? Here, follow your energy. And then how do you like to take a break or pause? For me, it's a walk in Golden Gate Park almost every day. It's my second happiest place on earth after Central Park in New York City. And then finally, what's one thing you can't live without? And that would be coffee. <laughs> For better or worse, it's my drug of choice. And uh, I will put a plug in for the brands that I really love, which is one is Phil's Coffee, which is out here in the Bay Area. I love Tesoro um, beans. And I also really love Blue Bottle's decaf nightlight, which is quite delicious. It's really the best decaf I've ever had. Sorry to say that Pete's coffee. I'm still a Pete Nick in, in heart, but uh, I made the switch to uh, these other brands on a daily basis. Um, and, oh, I've also become a total Nespresso convert. I used to think I was a coffee snob and didn't think Nespresso had a place in my kitchen. And now I really can't live without it. So that's another thing I can't live without. So with that, it's a wrap. Thanks for being with me for my first solo episode. I hope you found it helpful to learn a little bit more about sustainable ambition. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.